Thank you, Robbie, and thank you for Live Oak for inviting us to join you this morning. Um, when uh, you guys joined us a month or so ago, or two months ago, whenever it was, um, we have met together before, right? Yeah. Okay. So it's, it's been a it's been a long month. Uh, my kids just got out of school. I've got five kids. For those of you who don't know, and so the end of school is like a marathon. And then my in-laws were in town because my oldest graduated high school, and so that's a marathon in and of itself. Uh, and so, uh, yeah, but we, we worshiped together last time, and so uh, we asked Adam to, to speak then, and so my apologies in advance um, to, to those of you this morning who aren't used to hearing me and those of you who are used to hearing me. Um, if you'll take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Um, normally, I finish up about uh, 10, uh, about 11.45, and so I'm going to try this morning and finish up a little earlier than that. Uh, so that we can get a little early, um, but we have a. <laughs> sorry, uh, you guys are not enjoying my humor this morning, which is funny because because uh, a few minutes ago, and this this actually has something to do with the text. Uh, a few minutes ago, Robbie and I were standing here, and I said, Robbie, I, I noticed that several of your members have Starbucks cups, and uh, I, I don't think it's appropriate for them to bring Starbucks cups in uh, if, if you're going to have coffee, it needs to be PJs. And about that point, he realized I was joking. I managed two PJs, one in in, uh, in Mid-City and then one in Metairie. And uh, it was at that point I realized that uh, something that I, I learned in college. Uh, Christy, who leads worship for us, uh, we went to college together in Georgia, and uh, she and her husband are, are two of mine and wife's closest friends. Uh, but when I first got to college and I met Christy, I thought she was great, and I thought she was cool, and I thought she thought the same thing about me. Um, but about a year later, about a year later, uh, Christy and I had a conversation. Maybe it was a, maybe it was even later than that. Um, it was my second year that I was at Bruton Parker, and <laughs> Christy one day says, "When I first met you, I did not like you." And I was like, what, what, do you, what do you mean? You like, like, like the first day you met me? And she's like, no, for the first year I met you, I did not like you. And I was like, well, I had no idea. I thought we were friends. Um, but sometimes we miss people because of the way that, that maybe they talk, the way that, uh, the, the way that they relate to us or to other people, we miss each other. And this morning, as we read the text, uh, Paul talks about this and he, and he talks, uh, and, and, and if we can grasp this one thing this morning, that, that if rather than trying to understand people from where we are, try to understand them where they are, and to see them where God has them, that will not only uh, make the world a better place, but it makes the church better, and it makes the church a more enjoyable place to be. Um, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul is finishing up a letter that he wrote to a, to a group of churches in the area known as Galatia. So it's not one city. Some of his, a lot of his letters are written to one city. This is written to an area called Galatia. And Paul starts out the letter and he says, the gospel is good. In fact, Jesus has delivered you. Right? We don't use that word a whole lot. But he's delivered you from the bondage of sin. You're not in sin anymore. You're not in slavery to sin anymore. And he goes on and he says, and this gospel is, is from Jesus. It belongs to Jesus. It belongs to God. This is God's gospel. I didn't make it up. Peter didn't make it up. The early church didn't make it up. This is God's gospel. It belongs to him. And because it belongs to him, he continues, we've got to steward it well. 
And so that means that we trust in Christ, we believe the gospel, but then we don't hoard it. We don't hang on to it for ourselves, but we give it to other people. And we say, hey, I've been delivered from sin. I'm a sinner, and I have flaws, and I have big issues. But... By the grace of God and and through the power of the gospel, I've been saved. I've been delivered from that. Would you like to be delivered too? And he continues and he says, but some people have come and they've taken this gospel that is so glorious and wonderful that says no matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what other people say about you, no matter what you believe about yourself, that through the power of Christ you can be saved and you can be changed. And so people were adding some things, and they were saying, yeah, 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 you you need to believe that, and Jesus is good, but you also need these other religious rituals, and we call that the law. And that's that's things from from the teachings of Moses, that that God had commanded his people, uh, Israel, to do at Mount Sinai. But even in that, it's important to remember that the law was not a means to a relationship. The law was not the way that they gained a relationship. Do you remember when when God first established his relationship with Israel? Not just with Abraham, but, but in the book of Exodus. Do you remember when God called his people and called them his people? He said, I'm their God. Do you remember when that happened? It happened when they were still in bondage. When they were still in slavery. Their relationship with him was not contingent on, was not dependent on their willingness to obey the law or even their ability to obey the law. They were called his because he said, you are mine. And he said, because you are mine, I want you to live a certain way so that when people look at you, they see you belong to God. And the same thing is true with us now. And and that's what Paul's saying. Listen, we're not saved because we follow the law, but we're saved because of what Christ did. And then he enables us to obey God's word and to live in light of that because we are his sons. In chapters 3 and 4, Paul really dives deep into that. And it's an important thing for us to, to, to understand this morning, that we're not just sons and daughters of God, but, but Scripture says that we all have rights as sons. Paul isn't saying gender doesn't matter. That's not the discussion that Paul's having here. What he's saying is, in, in, in that context, the firstborn son was the heir, right? And got most of everything and all the best things that the father had. When the father died, he passed all that to his firstborn son. And what Paul is saying here is that when you were saved, you weren't adopted into the family as children who were less than. But you were invited into the family with rights that Jesus has. That you were invited in as sons, as firstborn sons. And you have rights to rule and to reign with God for all of eternity. And that's good news. So he didn't just deliver us from sin, but he's given us this incredible gift of being able to be his children. And he challenges them. He says, don't go back. To following the law again. Don't add things to the gospel. The gospel is good news. And if you add anything to it, it's no longer good. Last week we saw that because we're sons, that there's a certain way that we should live. That we shouldn't walk the way we used to walk in the sins that we used to walk in. But rather, we should walk in faith. And that the fruit of the Spirit... The fruit of the Spirit, verse 22 of chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. 
Paul says, against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Paul says, if you're in Christ, there are certain things that, that, will, that will show themselves in your life. And it's not that I read that and go, I need to work on being more loving this week. And I need to be more patient. I need to be more kind. And, and so we pick one of those things each week and try to get better in it. He doesn't say the fruits of the Spirit. These aren't separate things, but rather they're one thing. That when you're walking in Christ, that these things just naturally come out in your life. They're not things that we conjure up. That's the law. The law is things that we do. But the fruit of the Spirit is just the natural outflow of who we are. That's why he finishes there. He says, listen, don't don't be boastful. Because if you boast, you're boasting in what you do. But what you do isn't important. Who you are is important. And who you are is a child of God. And everyone in the body of Christ is a child of God. So none of us really have anything to boast about. We pick up in chapter 6, verse 1. He says, brothers, again, he's talking to, to those of the household of faith. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual... Those of you who are more mature should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone, not his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Hattie and Becca, come on up. So, <clears throat> this is what Paul's saying. This is, this is Hattie and Becca, my five-year-old and my seven-year-old. Everybody give them a hand. They look pretty this morning. So, Mama was laying in bed because she was up sick with a sick kid all night. And so, uh, they picked out their clothes this morning. I think they did a good job. So, um... Okay, girls, this is what I want you to do, okay? I want you guys to pick up these sticks when I tell you, okay? That's all I want you to do, just pick them up, all right? So go ahead and pick those sticks up. Okay, good job. Now, I'll take those back from you. So which one of you did what I asked? both okay all right so i'm going to throw them down again this time what i want to happen is i want hattie i want you to pick up five and becca i want you to pick up the rest okay all right go so how do you how many do you have Can you give Becca one? There you go. Now how many do you have? Five. Yeah, good job. Okay. So which one of you did what I asked you to do? Both of you did what I asked you to do. Okay, y'all have a seat. Great job. Give them a round of applause. They did a great job picking up sticks. They've never in their life picked up sticks, so I'm surprised they knew how to do that. That is the Christian life. God says do this, and we do it. 
because that's who we are. We're his children, and we, we obey him. Not because we're mad. I mean, our girls, like, you saw them, they were smiling. Like they Sometimes they're not real happy about obeying me. But in that moment, they were excited to be a part of this thing with me. I told them earlier this morning that I was going to invite them up, and I, I wanted them to help me. And so they were excited about coming and being a part of the sermon this morning. And God has invited us to be a part of what he's doing. And what often happens is, is one of us will look over the other and will go, well, I'm picking up more than her. Or, but I only had, to, she only had to pick up five and I've got to pick up the rest. That's not fair. That's what we do. We stop and complain and we go, well, well, that's not fair that her job is different than my job. My job is harder. That's what we do. But if a five-year-old and a seven-year-old can just do what they're, they're told to do and do it with smiling, smiling faces, we, as mature followers of Christ, can do the same thing. It's not about what did God call this person to do and what did God call me to do and which one is more difficult and which one of us is closer to God because apparently God trusts me more because he asked me to do something more difficult. And you're not really that spiritual. You don't know as many Bible verses and so God's not asking you to do as much because you're not as great as me. That's what we do. And we compare all the time. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Like our purposes are, are, are different. Like our jobs are different. So it's, it doesn't make sense to compare. It's like if we compared my job uh, during the week with, with Adam's job during the week. I, I told him the story this past week. It's kind of embarrassing, so I'll tell it so that you'll laugh with me. Um, my, my first experience here in New Orleans was, was on a mission trip. And we worked with Habitat for Humanity. It was a college group. And we finished our work one day. Our, our job was just to level yards and so uh, to bring dirt. And so we had put down like 10,000 pounds of dirt one day. And, uh, and so we, you know, that's, we put a lot of dirt. I don't know how much it was. Uh, but we finished our job early, and they said, hey, we want you to go over to this job site and clean up over at this job site. Uh, we've got a commercial shoot that's going to be going on over there. We need somebody to clean it up. So we went over to clean it up, and they said, hey, a basketball player's coming, and he needs some people to be in the commercial with him. Who wants to be in the commercial? And so I was on leadership, so my campus minister let me be on leadership, and I didn't know anything about basketball at this point. Okay, I was the chaplain for our school team, but I didn't know what I, – that's all I knew. Is that they, like, bounced the ball, and they tried to get it in a little – ring. Uh, but other than that, I didn't know much about basketball. And so so I get to stand next to this guy in the commercial. And they're all like, oh, that's Chris Paul. That's Chris Paul. And I was like, oh, cool. Chris Paul. Like, he must be a college player, high school player, because I've never heard of him. He's not Michael Jordan. And, uh, and so I'm standing next to him. And all we have to do is we're going to lift up this wall. And it's like the shell of a wall, right? And, and then there, some people are going to hold it on the outsides. And it's going to look like we're nailing it down. And so all I have to do is put one nail into the wood, and I'm good. And so... I get my nail and I get my hammer and I'm right next to Chris Paul and so like I'm trying to be cool, right? And so I go to hit that that nail and I miss the nail the first time. And so I hit the nail again and it just bends. And I look over and everybody else has theirs and I was like, one nail ain't gonna make a difference. And I just stood up like I was good. <laughs> and we were we were the commercial shoot was for this family, uh this this single mom and her son. He was probably three or four, maybe maybe it was five at the oldest. And he comes over after I back up with his hammer. And he nails, he fixes my nail, straightens it up, and then nails it into the wood. <laughs> and so I'm not very handy. Uh, and, and, and Adam knows construction stuff. 
uh, and I make coffee, it would make no sense for us, me and Adam, to sit and for me to say that I'm better than him at making coffee. He doesn't make coffee. Like, that's not his job. And he's like, well, you, you don't know how to teach construction. Well, no, I don't know how to teach construction. Like, I, I still don't know how to hammer a nail. But I don't have to because I've got Oscar, right? Um, so, so we don't have to compare. But both of those jobs are important, right? If people don't have coffee, then they don't need to be building houses, right? They're not alert enough to be able to, to be building things. And things are uneven and crazy. And, you know, that's, I think that's why our road system is the way it is. People don't have enough coffee. And so, so we had more coffee. That's really the key to fixing everything in the world is getting them more coffee. Um, but our jobs are different. And so we, we don't, we don't need to, to compare each other. And Paul says this, listen, there are going to be times where even though our jobs are different, even though our, our ministry callings are different, there are going to be times where you look at someone and you know they're, they're off the path. They're not quite where they need to be. Even though God maybe isn't calling them to do the same exact things he's calling you to do, that, that you can tell they're not where God wants them to be. And he says, if you see someone like that, restore them in gentleness. And what that means is, is, it's like this picture of taking an old piece of furniture, right? And you, you sand it down and you get all the, the, the old stuff off of it and then you make it smooth and then you repair it and you paint it and you make it look pretty again. And it's a lot of work. And you can't just look at it and say, repair yourself. You can't just look at it and go, you look bad. You need to get better. Like that furniture doesn't fix itself. And it's the same thing with our brothers and sisters in Christ, that rather than looking at them and saying, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't be that way. You shouldn't do that thing you're doing, or you should do this other thing that you're doing. We should come alongside them and say, hey, I've been there. I've, I've got my own stuff. Can I walk with you in this? Can I, can I help you in this? I see that, that you're struggling a little bit, and I love you. And... And I, I have some things that I think could help you, but, but even if not, like, I just want to walk with you in this because I know what it's like. That's what it means to restore them with gentleness. And he says, keep watch on yourself. Like, don't focus so much on the other person that you don't see things in your own life. Paul continues in, in verse 6. He says, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. My wife in the past year has lost a toddler. Like she, not one of my kids, but she lost like 40 pounds. Uh, and she did it by just exercising regularly. And she has this app on her phone. And she only eats however many calories her little phone app can say. Uh, says that she can eat. And it is like crazy how disciplined she is with this thing and it took her so long she felt like and 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 she told me like i feel like there's not any difference i feel like it's not working and and so she started taking a lot of pictures and as she took more pictures she's like oh i can tell a difference because the number wasn't changing as much as what she looked like was changing and it's interesting that there are people who say, you know what, I want to get healthy, I need to get healthy. And so we go to the gym one time, right? Or we count calories one day or maybe one week and then we go, well, that's not working and so we quit. And we think, well, if, if, if I, I, I tried that one time, you know, I tried this diet or I tried this exercise thing and it didn't work. And so, so it's, I'm, I'm not going to do it anymore. The problem is with exercise, you have to do it more than once to really see the results, right? In, in order to, to, to 
fix your diet, you have to adjust it more than one day. Like you, She's counted calories for over a year now. She doesn't count it. Her app does it. And she sees the benefits of that now. She's seen the rewards of that. But it took day after day after day after day. It's just like a farmer who, who plants corn, right? And he doesn't just plant the corn. But first he has to till the field and make sure that there's, there's fertilizer and all that stuff. And then he has to water it every day. He has to make sure that there aren't bugs that are eating it. Make sure that there aren't funguses or different things that are on it. And, and, and to, to make sure that it stays healthy. And then if parts are rotting, then he has to get it out of there so it doesn't cause the other parts to rot. It's a lot of work until finally he gets to, at some point, pick that corn and eat that corn. But it's a long time. It's months between that. And the, our Christian life is the same way. We can't just come to church once a week and, and, and go, God, why is my life a mess? Well, you, you gave me an hour. I, I know that, that verse 7 isn't something that you've not heard before, but few of us actually apply this principle in our life. I'm not saying that if you start reading your Bible and reading four to five verses or a chapter a day, I'm not saying that all your problems will go away. But I will say that a year from now, you won't have regretted that time that you spent doing that. That you will understand God more than you do today. That you'll understand others more and how you relate to them. That you'll understand yourself more. And you'll be more of the person that you want to be a year from now if you just devote yourself to reading His Word daily. To praying daily. And it doesn't have to be a lot. Because we reap what we sow. And if we get to, you know, next year and we go, well, I'm still not as close to God. I feel like God doesn't hear me. I feel like I don't really know God. I feel like I don't know a whole lot about Him. I feel like I'm not a very good Christian. Well, what have you changed? We have to be growing. Paul starts out, verse 7, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. Right? It's not like you can come to church and fool God and he's like, oh, wow, I wasn't expecting to see them. They're super spiritual. Like God's not looking at us being like, good job, guys. You're, you're all, I'm going to fix everything in your life because you came to worship one time. That's not the way it works. And we know that. He says, for the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And remember, Paul, when he's talking about sowing and reaping, he's talking about difficult work. Right? Farming is difficult work. He says in verse 9, Let us not grow weary of doing good. Why does he say that? Because he knows we're going to grow weary in doing good. Paul knows that. He's been there. It's a difficult work. He's not giving us any illusion that it's easy. He says, don't grow weary in doing good for in due, in, in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. Paul doesn't say, if you do it better than anybody else. Paul doesn't say, if you're smarter than anybody else. Paul doesn't say, if you have better equipment than everybody else. Or, or if you have more experience than everybody else. Paul says, if we don't give up, if you don't quit, it's not even about the quality of your work. Just don't quit. Just keep pushing through. And if you just keep pushing through, you will see some fruit. And it may not be the fruit that you were wanting. It may not be the, per- the fruit that the person next to you has. But you will see fruit. But if you give up, if you quit early, you will not see fruit. 
I wonder how many of us fail to see fruit in areas of our life because we give up when it gets hard, when we get tired. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. That goes back to to verse 2 where he said, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? Remember Jesus is meeting with his disciples in that last supper meal that he had with them. And he said, A new commandment I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. Paul says in chapter 5 that the the commandment that, that everything else hangs on is love your neighbor as yourself. He goes a little deeper in, in verse 6 and he reminds us of that, of chapter 6 and that important commandment that Jesus gave us. So yeah, love your neighbors yourself, but love one another as Christ has loved us. How has Christ loved you? If you were in a situation like the person you're looking at, how would Christ love you in that situation? What would love look like from Jesus toward you? And that's how you're to love that person. He says, especially those who are of the household of faith. Why? Adam read earlier this morning that, that people will know that we're disciples of Christ by our love for one another. Not by how spiritual we are. Not because of how pretty our building is. Not because of how many cars are in the parking lot. By our love. He continues, see with what large letters, Paul's finishing up, he says, see with what large letters I'm writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except... And the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. As as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. Paul reminds us of what he's been talking about this whole letter. Uh, the freedom in Christ that we have. Remember in, in chapter 1 that he delivered us. Christ delivered us from the power of sin. From the bondage of sin. From slavery to sin. And as, as sons of God, we now can walk in the Spirit. And what that means is that we don't walk by or give in to the flesh. We don't, it doesn't mean we don't still have those desires. We still have sinful desires. All of us have sinful desires. And if we're honest, all of us daily give in to those sinful desires. Paul's under no illusions here that that, that we're perfect or that we've got it all figured out. But rather what he says is, is remember that the thing that we're focused on and that our lives are centered around is the cross of Christ. The goal of my life is not to be the best Christian I can be. The goal of your life should not be to be the most spiritual person that you can be. That's not what God wants for us. God wants something much better for us. God wants us to have a life that is centered on Him 
Because this is the thing. When we do what we're made to do, and when we focus on who we were made for, we are satisfied. And, and we enjoy life more. And we're at peace. But when we go out and we try to do the things that feel good, we're going to constantly be chasing those things. And that's what leads to regret. Right? We have regret when we get what we wanted and it's not what we want. Right? Regret is when we get what we wanted and it's not what we want. It's like my toddlers when we're doing lunch. I say, what do you want for lunch? The other day, Kaya. I said, Kaya, what do you want for lunch? I don't know. Do you want ramen noodles? No. Well, that's what everybody else is having. No, I don't want ramen noodles. Okay, Kaya, how about I cook you some ramen noodles? I think I want those. And so, like, he, he doesn't know. And then five minutes later, he tells me he doesn't like ramen noodles after he takes a bite and loves it. Because he changes his mind. And then he got some applesauce. But he didn't finish his applesauce because he decided he doesn't like it anymore, even though he had eaten some a couple hours before. Because what he wanted isn't what he wants. That's regret. And we chase after those things that feel good, that look good, we end up disappointed. And we end up, we end up hurting one another. See, when you're chasing after what you want and what feels good and what you think is going to give you that thing that you're looking for, you're not looking out for my best interest. You're not looking out for the the kingdom interest. And ultimately, it leads to hurt not just for you, but for all of us. So all of us have a purpose. And and the thing is about the stick illustration at the beginning is, is if Hattie doesn't pick up her five sticks, it doesn't matter how many more Becca had picked up. They're not all picked up. Becca had to, I mean, Hattie had to pick up her five sticks. And this morning, what God's calling you to do may not be as big or as monumental or in your eyes even maybe not as important as someone else's task that God has given them. And God's not asking you to to decide who deserves what task, who would be best at doing a certain thing. God's asking you this morning, and he's inviting you to partner with him and to do this one thing. So what is that thing? What does it look like for you to come alongside the body of Christ and for you to fulfill your duty? The thing that God has called you to, the thing that he has uniquely gifted you to do. Paul in closing says this in verse 17, From now on let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Paul reminds them in closing. This life of following Jesus is not easy, and it's not always been pretty. In fact, it's painful. It's painful from people outside of the church who have beaten him, who who have arrested him. It's been painful from people inside the church who say that he's not who he says he is. That that he, he doesn't have the relationship with God that he knows that he has. And Paul isn't saying... I'm done, and nobody else can cause me trouble. What he's saying is this. I don't, I don't concern myself anymore with what all of you are saying about me. I love you, I care for you, but I don't need to impress you. Because I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. 
the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, I love y'all, but whether you listen to this or not, I'm going to continue living for Christ. My life is going to be centered on the cross, and I'm going to make much of Jesus. So what is God calling you to do? Maybe it's to volunteer with VBS. That was, that was a cheap shot. I'm sorry. But really, I love VBS because it's this one time a year where we get to do this event. And we all get to come together and do what we enjoy and do what we're good at. I love making a fool of myself in front of kids and telling them about Jesus. If, if, I, if there was a job in the world where I could do that, I think I would do that. But the closest thing there is is to, to leading the worship rally at VBS. And so that's what I do. And I love doing that. And I want you to find your thing. Not just with VBS, but maybe that's where we start. Maybe you've not served in the church before. And this is your, your way to, to jump in. And so whether it's decorating and you really enjoy doing that, or maybe it's teaching, uh, maybe it is helping with music, maybe it's helping um, with, with crafts. I don't, I don't know what you enjoy doing. I don't know what you're gifted in doing. But there is a job. If you come and say, hey, this is what I like to do, we can find something for you to do. So go talk to Adam and tell him your thing, and he'll solve your problem. Right? So, yeah. If, if you've got something you're not sure, then go to Adam. But if you've got something that's more conventional, then you can go to Tiffany or to Jill. Okay. Um, but, but really, we want you all to be involved with that. And not because we want to look back and go, look what we did. But because when the world comes in, and we have kids that we don't see the rest of the year. And those parents come in and they go, wait, why are all these people together? These people don't even fit together. They're so different. Their personalities are different. Their backgrounds are different. They don't belong together. How did this happen? And we look at them and go, yeah, I know. If it wasn't for Jesus, I would not like that person. They, they drive me crazy apart from Jesus. Like, we can be honest. And then we say, but because of what Jesus did in my life and did in their life, I love serving alongside of them. And it's amazing how he uses our different gifts and passions and personalities to accomplish his mission. And if, without each other, we couldn't have done this. And without Christ, we would have killed each other. And that's, that's the beauty of the gospel. It's not easy. It's not quick. But it's worth it. So how are you going to serve? Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We thank you for the privilege that we have to, to hear it and to read it, to study it. We thank you for the privilege that we have now to obey it through the power of your spirit. God, we know that in and of ourselves that there's nothing good in us and that we never could love up uh, to the standard that you've set. But we thank you that because of the cross, we don't have to. That you've willingly come and, and you've chosen to do that work for us and that, that, that the, the fruit of your spirit bears itself in our lives. So help us, Lord, as a, as a body of believers, Lord, to commit to use the gifts, passions, the personalities that you've given us, no matter how different they may be, for the glory of your kingdom. God, help us not to look to the left and the right and focus on what somebody else is doing unless we're going to help them. God, help us to to focus on the task you've given us. And Father, we pray that you're glorified as you use all of those things together. 
for your kingdom purposes. In Christ's most holy and precious name we pray.